Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. somebody says to you today, if you showed up at church today, hey, how you doing? I'm good, pretty much, right? And we have that I'm good part of our world, but every one of us probably have under that I'm good line, there's a not good part of me right now that, that I'm struggling with, and it usually has to do with some family something, right? But what a gift to have Christ at the center of our lives, at the center of our home, who He's changing us, transforming us. And what's the goal of family? What's the goal of family? The glory of God. Family is the primary context by which God changes us to become like Christ as we have to love these people. Did I say that right? I'm off my notes. I love loving my wife. It's not hard to do that. But there are moments it's hard to love me, right? (laughs) And the the tension moments in our family, those are the growth moments. If we know him and if we follow him and if we surrender to his lead. And a disciple is someone who's living with increasing surrender of all of my life to the empowering lordship of Jesus Christ, starting at home. And when we do that, He makes our homes, yes, we all have problems in our homes and tensions, but even those problems and tensions are a part of where his glory can be seen, and we grow, have opportunity to to grow to be like him, right? So thank you. Thank you for being a part of our church family, and we are in this series, One Thing, and excited. We're we're really, um, the theme of our year this year is this, this one thing that matters most. And when I say Joshua, what comes to your mind when, in the context of the Bible? When I say Joshua, what's the first word that pops into your mind? You can shout it out if you want to. Jericho, yeah, the walls of Jericho. Thanks, what else? Joshua, you think courage, boldness. Yeah, here's a guy that lived out his unique life mission full of challenges, like giants that he was facing, and yet he did it with courage, trust, dependence on the Lord. How did he do that? How did he do it? As you think about your own life, and each of us have a unique life mission that will have these challenges, and how do we live out our life mission with courage and with boldness, similar to what Joshua did? Well, there's a moment that you would say, you could say it's a footnote in the story of Joshua in his life journey, but I would argue this is the main thing, and it's in over in Exodus chapter 33, verse, uh, it's verse 11, but as, as the Israel's going through the wilderness, Moses sets up this tent there in verse 7. It says, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go out to that tent of meeting outside the camp. So there goes Moses. He's out meeting with the Lord, and the text says God would show up. And verse 11 says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to camp. But his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. I picture Moses going back to camp. Got to get stuff done around here. He's like, hey, Joshua, 
nowhere to be found. Like, where is Joshua? He's still in the tent. What's the secret to Joshua's courage as he lived out his mission? I would argue it's one thing. He figured out the one thing. Our one thing, Psalm 27, 4, this one thing I ask, this Lord is what I'm seeking, that I, that I might dwell in your presence, dwell in your house all the days of my life. And today we're about to get sent. We're going to be talking about what, what God calls us into as we go and do life with him and live on mission with him. But what's the secret? And the big idea here is, our, as, as we're called to go out and be a witness for Christ, it starts with our dwelling with him. It's the one thing that leads to our witness. Have you ever experienced the frustration of not having the power or the strength to do what you wanted to do in that moment, and it just, ah, oh, so aggravating? A couple weeks ago, something died in the woods near our house, and so here come those turkey buzzards that are float fly around our community, and they are a menace in, in my mind because they stink up the neighborhood, they ruin the roof, and they, are a, they need to go. They're, they're not welcome in the neighborhood. So being the protector of our fortress, I immediately went out, grabbed some rocks, and just started chucking them. They perch up in the trees. Well, every throw was falling, going about 20 yards short, and it's like, all right, I need power. I need something else. So Chad's a semi-automatic airsoft gun came to my mind. So I storm into the house, and Chad, was, he helped me get that thing ready, and it was like Rambo's back, right? And went up and just firing these little uh, uh, plastic bullets their way. Well, those turkey buzzards mocked me, like, yeah, plastic bullets, whatever, and they just floated down a couple trees. So then I just frustrated, not having the, the power I needed, thinking, shit, i I could go get my shotgun right here, but that's illegal. I want to stay on the right side of the law. And then it hit me. Pyrotechnics is one way the town used to get them out of that Gary Aiken Park. Fireworks or, or bottle rockets is what I need. And so I realized I was out, so I texted our small group, hey, anyone have leftover bottle rockets from the 4th of July? Nope. So I went to bed that night with that frustrating feeling of not having the power to do what I, I needed to do. And I'm falling asleep knowing these Turkey buzzards are up in these trees, and I can't get them out. I had already planned, though, in my schedule, I'm going to get up to Indy and find some fireworks soon. But uh, I woke up the next day. I'm out doing something in the front yard when across the, the road it comes my neighbor, Alex. And I didn't even say hi to him. <laughs> I'm just like, the birds are back. The battle's on. And uh, did you see him? You know, like, we got to get these things out of here. And without saying a word, it was like in a race when the, you hand a baton, he just slips me. I didn't see this, but see it in his hands as he was walking toward me, but he slips me. Would you believe a new pack of bottle rockets? I'm like, how did you know? <laughs> and this was uh, like Christmas in September, and uh, what a good feeling to be able to walk out there on the back patio now with the power that I needed to just send those birds flying. Well, lacking the power to chase away turkey buzzards is one thing, but the frustration of lacking the power to do what God has created us to do. And as followers of Jesus, we know that he calls us to, he's left us here to go be a witness for him. To, to, and we would all agree together, those of us who know him and walk with him, that the greatest gift that we could give anyone is this simple gospel, this good news that, that God loves us, 
He gave His Son, Jesus, for us, and that our greatest problem in life is our separation from Him because of our own sin and our own brokenness that wants to be king of our own life. But when we come to Christ in faith, we can receive not only the forgiveness of our sin, but we get to live with Him, dwell with Him, walk with Him, enjoy His presence. And yet, when it comes to having those faith conversations or when the opportunity opens up, and that moment comes to, with grace, but, but boldness, step in and help someone in their faith walk. Have you felt the power go? Or, or like just all of a sudden it's like weak knees or I don't have the strength to, to do what I know I've been called to do. How do we live with boldness and courage when it comes to living out our unique mission, life calling of, of being a witness for Christ? Well, what's neat is God has given us Several moments of calling or sending in Scripture where we see him send other people with a message. And what we will discover, a bit of a preview, the going and telling starts with come and dwell. The going and telling starts with come and dwell. Our power to go and, and be a, a compelling witness begins with one thing, our one thing, which is really being in his presence. And we see this in the life of Joshua, I mean, I'm sorry, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6. So if you would join me there, Isaiah was a prophet uh, in the Old Testament, and this is where we see God call him. It's verse 1, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died. So this is a significant moment. Uzziah doesn't mean a lot to us, but to, if you were in Judah at this time, this is a big moment for you in that Isaiah, uh, Uzziah had been the king of Judah for 52 years and had actually been a good king. He led the people into material prosperity. The, the nation of Judah just thrived under his leadership. So you think about that, 52 years and now he's gone. King is dead. But what's significant is what took him out. Yes, he's dead, but, but what was it that would, uh, took him out of leadership, actually. And it's symbolic of this, the state of the nation of Judah at this time. We see it in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16. It says, but after Uzziah became powerful, pride led to his downfall. Isn't that interesting? And is that not a commentary on really pretty much all of history? One thing we do not do well as humans is steward power. It led to his downfall. Um, he, was but he was unfaithful to the Lord God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So God had specifically said only the priests are to lead in worship and burning, in, burning incense. But this king thinking, hey, been king 40-some years, now I can go in and, and worship the way I want to worship. Well, Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. And they confronted him, King um, said, you, you can't do this. And aren't you thankful for the people in your own life who have the courage to confront you, even when it's, uh, it's hard and, and pride is having its way in our own soul. But um, the king does not listen to him. It says in verse 19, Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. And while he was raging at the priest in their presence before before the incense, the altar of the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. And God just said, 
not here. And his power went, and his son had to rule for him for the next 10 years. But here's the significance of this moment, I think, is what we're seeing. Uzziah led the, the nation into great material prosperity, but morally the nation was collapsing. There was a leprosy of soul, a, a pride that had come in on the people that was leading them away from God. And uh, that's where Isaiah finds himself. That, that's his, his world and where God, where is God going to send him out into that context. And so it says, the second part of this verse, here you have the King Uzziah. He's died. But then Isaiah looks up and says, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. The contrast here is powerful. I don't, you see this dead, decaying king who was eaten up by pride and leprosy, but then he looks up and he sees the Lord, high and exalted. In the temple of heaven, in the, the throne room of heaven, with this, the train of his robe, his ma- picture of his majesty just filling this temple. It's hard for us to even imagine but we just know majesty and here down bad situation on earth bad situation for Israel but the king of kings is alive and well he's sovereign he's in control and we get to see this through the eyes of Isaiah and who is this on the throne and we learn over in John chapter 12 verses 38 to 41 this is Jesus before he took on humanity Sometimes we think about Jesus starting as a baby, but he didn't start as a baby, did he? He's eternal. And his pre-incarnate state, before he took on humanity, he was ruling as sovereign king. And here we see his glory, and and, uh, he goes on to describe this scene. Look at verse 2. It says, above him were seraphim. These are literally fiery ones. So these are angels that were probably just blazes of, of flames each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. and With two, they were flying. And the, this picture of even these fiery ones covering themselves is a picture of reverence and worship. And they were calling to one another. This is their, their song or their worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And can you imagine, as I was thinking ways that we can apply this this to our own lives this week what a great song really to think about in our own times with the Lord and just to worship him this song is still going on in heaven even now holy 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 means morally pure but also holiness means to be set apart um, different from other than and God our God is infinitely pure in every attribute, but also infinitely above us in every attribute. His justice, his mercy, his wisdom, his power, his love. Holy, holy, holy. When they say it three times, it's building to the superlative, like beyond what we can imagine, but it's also speaking of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, equally holy, holy, holy. And I love the second line where it says, they're saying the whole earth is full of his glory. What's Isaiah thinking? With Uzziah dead and a a nation morally adrift, we got a mess down here. But what's heaven saying? (laughs) The glory of God is exploding all over earth, even though humans are screwing things up. 
His glory still fully alive. And they were, and then it says, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. This is one of those moments God gives us, freezes this moment in time so that we can come and just lift our eyes to his glory, to his greatness. But what happens is we see his majesty. And what happens to Isaiah is what we feel in our own hearts is verse 5 goes on. Isaiah says, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. Or in essence, he's saying, I, I deserve death in this moment, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Speaking of the sinfulness of his own heart, he uh, says, and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. This is a, a hard space to be in as we think about when we come to dwell with the Lord, but I think one of the most important, it's when we see the greatness of God and the glory of God and the holiness of God that we see our own lack of that, our own sinful, sinfulness, the gap between who God is and what, what he's called us to be to who we actually are. And it's in the light of his glory that he illuminates our own hearts and the pride that, that's at work in our hearts, the, the lack of love, the ways that we, we want to rule our own life versus letting him rule as king. But this is so important because if, if we compare ourselves with each other and, and just keep on and kind of live outside of a glimpse of his glory, we're not healed. The first step to healing is, is admitting and confessing, God, I'm broken, like Isaiah did. I'm unclean, and I live among a people who are unclean. Confession is that step that leads to calling and leads to going. So important in our own lives. And aren't you thankful our God is so gentle with us in this? I, I heard someone say that if God revealed all the areas that we needed to fix at once, we'd go either crazy or we'd just run into the, the cave of denial and never look at ourselves again. But he's gentle with us, isn't he? And it's day by day, step by step. We're all on a journey. None of us are perfect, but he's changing us. We've come to Christ. And he does so one glimpse of glory at a time, one confession at a time. Little by little, we're becoming like him. But what's the purpose of that as we become like him? And he goes on. It says, uh, verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, and which he had taken from tongs from the altar. So Isaiah doesn't even pray for forgiveness. He, he just says, I'm dead. And then he sees this fiery creature, six wings, coming his way with a, a live coal that had been taken from the altar. What's he thinking? Yep, I'm dead. This is my moment. I'm about to go when says, he touched my mouth with it. says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Isn't this awesome? He goes from thinking, I'm dead, deserve to be dead, to your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. What is this? This is the grace of God in motion. Can you imagine how many times Isaiah must have shared this story? Like, guys, I was dead. <laughs> I 
And this angel comes at me and, and says, no, your guilt is gone. Your sin atoned for. What did Isaiah do to deserve that? Nothing. That's grace, unmerited favor. And followers of Jesus, what have we done to deserve our forgiveness and our sin being atoned for and taken away? Absolutely nothing. But here's the thing, you guys. We have a much better story than Isaiah does because it wasn't just an angel who was worshiping the king who came for you and me. It was that king who got up off his throne set aside this royal robe, left the seraphim and all of heaven watching and waiting as he came down to clothe himself in humanity, to take on weakness, still fully God, and yet now fully human. And this one who deserves holy, holy, holy put himself into a broken place where he would be spit on, mocked, crucified for you and me, and suffer the wrath that we deserve so that we might be forgiven. The Lamb of God. He took away the sin of the world. Anyone who would call on His name receives the forgiveness of sin and the chance to do life with Him forever. What kind of story and what kind of grace do we have and have we received? Amen? But it's building. There's more. There, there's, it says, Then I heard the Lord, the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go with us? So it wasn't just about being cleansed. It's about a calling. The question today is, is God still asking that question? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And by the way, when he says who will go for us, another picture of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, involved in the work of, of salvation, who's going to go for us? Is that question still on the table and I would say yes 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 Jesus when he prayed for us remember John 17 verse 15 he said my prayer is not that you take them out of the world but but that you protect them from the evil one they are not of this world even as I am not of this world sanctify them by your truth your word is truth as you sent me into the world I have sent them into the world So God doesn't call us to retreat. Jesus doesn't call us to retreat. He prays for protection from the evil one, but he sends us into the world. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, again with his followers, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then Paul explaining it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 20 says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, we beg you, we plead with you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Meaning, God's made the way for for us to, to be at peace with him, but we have to take that step of receiving the gift of salvation. And then he says in verse 21, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Through faith in him, God transforms us, changes us to be righteous like Christ, and we receive the righteous life of Christ as well through faith. Is this question, who will go for us? Whom shall I send still on the table? And the answer is yes. And so what is Isaiah's response? And we see it, second part of the verse 
Isaiah just simply says, here am I, send me. And then God says, go and tell. You know what's neat about moments like this one is we get to relive it and then we can apply what we can apply to our own journey. Now, our journey's a bit different than Isaiah's. God had a special message for Isaiah that isn't our message to, to share. And you can read the rest of it there in Isaiah. The first part of Isaiah's message was actually not a very fun message to give. It was God's going to judge you and God tells him right up front, no one's going to listen to you. <laughs> Isaiah actually says, how long do I have to keep talking? And God says, until they... I do what I say I'm going to do. But then God gives him a message of hope and judgment and hope. And Isaiah 40 on, God says, comfort my people, comfort my people. A Messiah is coming. And he starts prophesying about the coming king. But what message has he given you and given me? And it's this precious news of the gospel, the good news. And the question today is, will you go? Will you be sent? And I love the, the idea of God brought us all together this morning in, in the, really for the purpose of being reset with as his witness. As I was thinking about the faith journey with Christ, it's really a series of, of being sent, isn't it? You could almost say every day is just a day where we wake up and, Lord, remember, remind me again why I'm here and what I'm supposed to be doing, and he resends us. But how do we go with power? with boldness, with courage. It starts where Isaiah started. If I go trying to be a witness in my own strength, it's like I'm throwing rocks at the buzzards. It's not going to get there. But if I will start in his presence, dwelling with him in worship, doing the one thing that matters most, that's when we get sent like a bottle rocket, Right? That's when the fear of rejection, it's not stopping me. I'm living for the audience of one. That's when no longer are we going sent like, oh boy, this is something I need to do. Like this is, ah, we feel guilty, so we, we, I better say something. No, I'm not feeling guilty. Why would I feel guilty about offering this person the best gift they could ever have, which is to be in the presence of God? The, Eric uh, Lyon told me he's going to his one thing retreat this this. Uh, tomorrow and the next day, and we're going to all be challenged to do that, like take two days a weekend sometime this year and just commit that time to friendship with God. Go get alone with Him and just be with Him, and it, have, have you noticed, those of you who have experienced this, when you are with God in worship and just basking in the glory of His greatness and who He is, it almost always ends, and I would almost bet my Ford Focus this is what's going to happen to Eric on Tuesday. It ends with getting sent. Have you felt that? It's like, it's awesome in his presence, but then it's like, I got to go share this with somebody. <laughs> I got to go help somebody. I got to go charge some darkness. I got to go find some brokenness. I got to go just let somebody know that hope lives and that there is a, a, a well of joy that won't dry up, and his name is Jesus. And you don't have to live life on your own. He will walk with you. There's hope for your family. There's hope for this broken soul that's just infested with pride that keeps wanting to put me on the throne. He'll help you with that. Why would I feel good? No, I got to tell someone, right? 
The difference between trying to go and being sent, it's everything. Our witness is fueled by our worship. And so today the prayer is that we would answer that question, who will go, whom shall I send? And we'll say, here am I, Lord, again. Send me. Now, when, when we think about this, often it's in our, in our context of America, and I think this is one of the areas God's really been working on me. Actually, in the sabbatical, this was probably the biggest area the Lord was purifying my heart. We think about success. We think about um, going and changing the world, right? We think about big and success and big impact. I love the quote, the only one who didn't have a Messiah complex was the Messiah. Have you ever thought about how much Jesus didn't do? And he didn't wake up stressed, oh, now I got to go save the world. Isn't it interesting in the movie, the Hollywood movie, the trailer, the, the Hollywood uh, of Jesus, you remember the trailer when Jesus is calling Peter, Peter, hop up on this boat and let's go change the world. He never called us to change the world. That's not scripture. That's Hollywood and our culture that worships success saying, let's go change the world. That will wear you out. That will deflate you. That will, what's Jesus call us to do? Come follow me. Dwell with me. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. We're not out to change the world. We're out to live in communion, dwell, and go on a walk. And when you and I go on a walk, I will make you a fisher of men. You'll change. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm changing the world, and I'll use you, but it starts with the walk. Abide in me, and, and then let's just go be alive with people. Let's just go love people, pure love. Let's quit worrying about, we don't worry about ourselves. It's just like, and if you want me to go over and sweep streets for your glory and shine to the people you bring me, I'm in. Here am I, send me. And if you want me to go climb up and sit on the, uh, in the White House, I'll do it. But I'll do it with just as much I'm off my notes. I, you know what I was going to say, right? Fill in the blank. <laughs> it's not about us. It's about Him. And we get to be a part of helping others into this love relationship. We get to be co-workers with the living God, sharing a message that sets people free. So we just go out and live our ordinary, everyday lives in love with Him and in love with people as He gives us His love. Isn't that awesome? So we say, here am I, send me. Now, as we go, two thoughts to think. And two, this is kind of the action step, the takeaway. As we, as we, the first is today to pray, here am I, send me. But then second, as we go, go with the thought of bold invite. Bold invite, bold invite. As humans, God said, you're, we're sheep. Sheep get scared really quickly. So it's helpful to have the word bold running through our minds as, as we go back out into the battlefield. So bold. So 
It doesn't take great skill, but it takes bold, doing something, taking the initiative. You guys, those without Christ are not going to come through our front doors. They're not going to show up at church. Why would they? We've got to go to them. And the neat thing is, you're doing it. How? Through your jobs, school, sports. You're going. God is orchestrating these opportunities. He's given you the key to, to have relationships with people that none of us, the rest of us, may have. The question is, will you be bold in the inviting to our worship gathering or or inviting into your life and just a conversation about Christ? I saw this illustrated this summer on the, we had the opportunity to visit family we hadn't seen for so many years out in California. And my Aunt Alice and then her family, cousin Mike and Tammy, opened up their home. And and it was one of those scenes like if you've watched, uh, well, it was big family patio picnic there in the hills of Moreno Valley. Um, California sun setting, there must have been 20 to 25 family members gathering around this table, kids and and everything, but Mike and Tammy shared their faith story, which was Mike grew up in California, a uh, avid football player, loved football, played at the high school level, college level, went on to try out for the Rams. God moved him into being a middle school teacher and coach, and then a and also he worked UPS full-time. But he's summarizing his story and just how God led him. And at the end of it, he said, with those middle school kids, I had two goals. One was to pound into their heads. And as a football coach would say, hard work matters. Like, hard work. And then the second thing was to pound into their heads the, the gospel. You know, <laughs> that God loves them and there's hope. And, and who, who God put on his heart was the knuckleheads, he called them. There's kids that are causing havoc for everybody else, usually because they don't have a strong family structure. And he goes, I just had a heart for the knuckleheads. So what can he do? So at lunchtime, when they're causing trouble, I opened up the weight room and said, come on down, lift weights. And he built a bridge, friendship. He said, then then after school on Wednesday, he started a, 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 like a champions club or something he called it, but where he would invite the knuckleheads to come and they'd, they'd work out physical fitness, but they'd also talk about soul fitness. And then him and another teacher um, said, let's take all these guys to an outreach event. I think it was Azusa or somewhere. They had a, they'd bring in a guest speaker, have fun. They'd load up a couple buses and take these knuckleheads. And, he, and when he's telling the story, you could almost see tears forming in his eyes. But the joy, as he said, you know, I'd get them there, but then God would go to work on them. And I saw middle school students walking down the aisle and surrendering their life to Jesus Christ. And Tammy went, she said, yeah, and we go, any, almost anywhere we go in Southern California, we'll bump into somebody who now we, we don't recognize, but he'll come up and say, hey, coach, and here's my family, here's my wife. And, and as I, next day, journaling on that, I'm just like, he doesn't have a seminary degree. He, it's, it's not that complicated. It's just do something. He just did something. He had a weight room key. Open it up. Be bold. Pump me up just to, hey, when God opens up an opportunity, whatever that looks like, bold invite. And then the word invite. So as we pray, here am I, send me. A loving invite. I'm becoming more and more convinced there's, there's some power in that. We all like to be invited. And if what would it be? What if we just, as God nudged us, we made bold invites to people around us, whether it was to do lunch and just talk or to come to our worship celebration on Sundays? 
I saw this power illustrated the first Sunday we were back from sabbatical, and so good to be back with you, and was catching up with a friend in the foyer when little Lincoln Roseboom, four-year-old, got my attention, and he uh, looked up at me and said, hey, I missed you while you were gone. I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> I missed you too, Lincoln, and then he said, I'm about to turn five. Like, happy birthday, and congrats on that. And then he said, will you come to my birthday party? I'm like, <laughs> me? <laughs> I'm a boring adult. How did I receive this? Event? Absolutely, I'll come to your birthday party. And, uh, but, you know, logistics, I said, how about you get, have your mom give me a holler? So later, Kim told me that uh, Lincoln said, Mom, we need to give Pastor John a holler. She said, what? A holler. Why? <laughs> well, I invited him to my birthday party. So sure enough, Lincoln called and uh, said, the party's on. It's Friday night, 7 o'clock. Can you come? And absolutely, we can come. And so we, uh, you know, all we thought that party would be in our minds, it exceeded all of that. <laughs> it was a little taste of heaven. A couple Friday nights ago, beautiful. It was in their backyard. We walk in to their backyard, and it wasn't just me that Lincoln had invited that backyard was packed with people, Sunday school teachers, friends, neighbors, grandparents. So I'm talking with people, we're, we're sharing our invite stories. And, and uh, but you know, Lincoln, from the time we showed up, made us feel like we made his day, you know? He, he took us over to the tramp and showed us, trampoline and showed us a couple of his tricks and then said, come on, see these cupcakes that we're about to eat. We made for all of you. And, and so he shows us them and it was so I was reflecting on the night the next day. It was magic. Didn't see that coming. You know, you get to share the joy of a five-year-old birthday party again as we're grieving, sending our kids out. <laughs> there was kickball. Didn't get to join. I got to stuck talking to adults, but kickball, <laughs> a bonfire, laughter, love. It was an outpost of heaven, and we got to be a part of it. We got to share that. Why? bold invite, a loving invite. How often does Jesus compare the kingdom of heaven to a party, to a celebration? And he says, now, your job, our job, is to say, hey, come to the party. Come to the party. Come be part of this. What a gift God has entrusted to us in to just go wherever he takes us, to whoever it is, and say, here am I, Lord, send me, and then go with boldness and love. The king, his table is ready. As a church family, we've, uh, it's our passion, and, and honestly, as I was prepping this, thinking I'm preaching to the choir here, but could I just, so just say, well done and keep on thinking about looking out and seeing you this morning and how many of you are out in our community, in our schools, soccer fields, football fields, basketball courts, just being the presence of Christ. And thank you and keep on, keep on, keep on. But this morning as we gather here, may this be a resending. And may the prayer of our heart be, here am I, Lord, send me. To anyone, anytime, anywhere, I'm in. Would you pray that with me? As we, if you would bow your heads and 
Just go ahead and, uh, in your own words, just whisper that back to the Lord as you picture him this morning. He's on his throne. He's cleansed us, loves us. He's called us his own. Here am I. Not just tell him, send me. Jesus, we thank you for sending someone to us. Thank you for coming for us, giving your life. Thank you for this privilege of being sent. And as we leave this place today, Lord, with all of our unique opportunities and abilities, we just offer them all to you again and say, here we are, send us. Lord, as we go out into our community, into pockets of brokenness and darkness and just all the issues that are there. I thank you that we go with the power of God, with the message that's powerful to set hearts free and bring healing and hope and eternal joy to those who will follow you. Thank you. We just pray you would send us this morning. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.